how can we stretch students to try things that they wouldn't normally think of to try? And so he came up with these five different paragraph ideas. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Okay, part two, Andrew, of Advanced Structure and Style. And again, listener, this was loosely based on a masterclass that Andrew did a few weeks ago for our premium members. So if you are not a premium member, please check out that link in the show notes as I give a shameless plug for our premium membership, some advanced classes that Andrew does for our premium members that are recorded and then kept for future posterity. You are just the queen of shameless plugs. I Well, I've got a couple of them today. <laughs> and the other one, we're going to pick up where we left off, of course, last week. So shameless plug for our podcast. If you haven't heard last week's podcast, you might be a little lost. We are jumping into now part two. Andrew talked about our classic dress-ups. He talked about schemes and tropes last week. And now we're going to talk about some of Dr. Webster's advanced paragraph models. Right. So, you know, he he just likes to play with stuff. Mm-hmm. And he still does, even at the age of 92. Wow. He gets some idea and then he just works on it, works on it, works on it. And then he keeps feeding it to me and mm-hmm. then says, why haven't you got everybody doing all this? <laughs> and uh, I think it's one of the problems of the curse of knowledge is yes. you kind of assume that yeah, everybody should be able to do this, forgetting that, you know, they are where you were a decade ago or more. Right. And I, and I do love that the Teaching, Writing, Structure, and Style workshop, two days or three days, or maybe you do it over the summer, it's, it's for basic. It's the basic program. We're just starting at every teacher can learn this and every teacher can teach this to their students. What we're doing right now is talking to teachers who may have been around the block a few times and want to maybe enhance their teaching, but please don't dump on this, dump this all on your students all at once. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm really eager to hear about these intentional paragraphs that Dr. Webster talks about. Well, so, you know, he is kind of always experimenting mostly in the area of unit seven, Mm, which is, you know, the creative or inventive writing. Mm -hmm. And how can we stretch students to try things that they wouldn't normally think of to try. And so he came up with these five different kind of paragraph ideas, mm-hmm. like how how can you say things in different ways. And uh, to a degree, it segues in very nicely with the trick of Unit 7 is the trick of being able to ask good questions. Right. And depending on what type of paragraph you might want to create, you might ask 
different questions to come up with the content, to invent or to find the content. I want to remind all teachers and tutors and parents and students that even in Unit 7, and even when you're in this zone of creativity and creative writing and invention, it's incredibly valuable, if not almost vitally important, to keep outlines. Yes. Don't scrap the idea of outlines and say, oh, it's creative writing. We can just, you know, start writing sentences on blank paper and just kind of flow and spew words out. That's just never the best way to do it. I know there are some people that think maybe that is freeing or allowing students a certain flexibility. But the truth is you can get the same freedom and flexibility if you create the outline first and then you can apply the structure and style ideas and get much better results. Andrew, this reminds me of the argument we had when I was in my undergraduate studies with recreation and should you put fences around a playground. And studies show that students are more comfortable when there are fences around a playground. They know where their limits are. And I think teachers who require a keyword outline all the way up to Unit 7 and then don't require it in, in Unit 7, they're taking away the fences in the playground and the, the students are a little bit lost. So yes, I think that's a great reminder to teachers. Continue to require the keyword outline. They will appreciate it. Yeah. So anyway, Webster came up with five different kinds of paragraphs that you may or may not see fit into mm. a Unit 7 composition. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the model he created was to put all five of them in one seven-paragraph Unit 7 composition. Wow. But this would not be our approach. <laughs> no. <laughs> our approach would probably be do one mm -hmm. paragraph of this sort, do another paragraph for a different assignment of this different sort, do another paragraph and kind of work up so that you've practiced all five, and then maybe, okay, you could choose three and do a five-paragraph unit seven composition, something like that. Sure. So I don't want any listeners to think that somehow it's wise to dump all of <laughs> no. these on students in one setting. Exactly, yes. One sitting, I guess. Uh, so the first one uh, I think is the easiest and best one for uh, even younger students in Unit 7, and that is the five senses. Mm. So you're writing a paragraph to describe something and very specifically asking the questions, what do you see, what do you hear, what do you smell, what do you taste, what do you touch or feel? And it depends on where you are. You may or may not taste or smell something. But a very good example would be at the beach. Oh, sure. Because you're hearing various things, waves, seagulls, children playing in the distance, parents, you know, warning, um, hopefully too violent. <laughs> um, then, then you're seeing all these various things, mm -hmm. seaweed on the beach, um, shells, mm -hmm. uh, waves again would double. Then you are smelling 
right? The salt in the air, maybe the rotting seaweed on the beach. Perhaps you come across a, a halibut that is partially decomposed on the <laughs> beach, and so you get a chance to smell that. And and I don't know that you would taste it, but you can't quite go swimming without the taste of the water. Mm-hmm. It's true. And uh, and different. I don't know if people are aware of this, but different places have salt water that has slightly different taste. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you're feeling the touch of everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, that would be uh, if you have experience at the beach, a great place to practice a five senses paragraph. Almost anywhere in nature, you could yep. could go this way, and then you might try, you know, a kitchen in your home or a restaurant. So, those are the questions. The the five senses. Another type of paragraph that he is suggesting is. It fits very nicely with the topic clincher rule because it's a general, particular, general. So you make a general statement and then you add in many, many details and you finish with a general statement. Mm -hmm. And so, again, writing about some place that you're familiar with would be a good way to start. So you might make a general statement – our IEW Bixby office is a very pleasant place to work. At least I think so. I think so too. And then you could go and look for the things that make it a pleasant place. The pasture behind our parking lot of horses galloping about. Yes. True. And, it's and true. The, we actually have The cheerful have that. banter in the kitchen. Yes. Uh, the taste of the Three fresh roasted <laughs> organic coffee beans. Oh, that's true. Yes. Um, the chatter that you hear as you walk by the Andrew telling the joke of the day. (laughs) Uh, So what are some of the specifics? And then you would finish Mm -hmm. up with that general statement. So that's a pretty easy one. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not – I wouldn't say it's it's different than an accidental paragraph that you might write about Mm -hmm. the office. The the next one is, again, corresponds quite nicely with our Unit 7 basic approach of – what are the questions, mm. right? The the five W's plus maybe the H. Who, what, where, why, when, how. Uh, a lot of times when we talk about journalism style of oh, writing, sure. that will be the journalist's view. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- who, what, where, why, when, and maybe a little bit on how, mm-hmm. and get the facts into the paragraph. Mm-hmm. So it's a unit five, perhaps without a picture. Yeah, it's kind of like a unit five without a picture, um, and the picture is provided by the imagination Mm -hmm. of the writer, Mm -hmm. which I think is so valuable because then you realize how unit five, writing from pictures, leads so nicely into Mm -hmm. unit seven, writing about anything. Uh, So those, those three are pretty straightforward. The next two are a little trickier in terms of needing some modeling. Mm. Um, one is a flashback paragraph. So this is where you would have your your first sentence, your topic sentence per se, to be what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And then you would give the history. Uh, how did it get to be this way or what happened to you before you were here? Uh, what kind of was happening to set it all up or behind the scenes. Again, this is very similar to Unit 5 where we have that option of saying, here's what's going on, now tell the backstory. 
and then at the clincher bring us back to what's going on. And uh, this, along with the Unit 5 idea, the flashback paragraph gives an opportunity to teach the idea of tense mm -hmm. with, okay, present tense, and then what's the past of the present, the past tense, mm -hmm. and then you come back to the present tense. If you shift the whole thing back one tense, then you start in the past tense, and then you go to the past of the past, which would be your perfect, right, past perfect or participle where I had been doing something. And so uh, that's, I think, a great way to teach that grammatical mm -hmm. idea um, Again, in the process of doing something with it, not just being able to, you know, identify it or fill in an exercise in a grammar book per se. So I know that in Homer's work, he does something called in media, in medias res. Yes, is that what this is kind of idea? Um, it can be, mm -hmm. you know, in in a very very big way. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, the, you know, the story starts in the middle, mm -hmm. and then in the process, you get the history behind mm -hmm. what happened to bring you to that point. Right. So rather than the whole story being that, just like a like this is a flashback. Right. Yep. Rather it. than. Once upon a time, in the beginning, there was right. <laughs> like the arrow pierced through the 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 steel plated wooden shield, drawing blood from the warrior as he stood on the battlefield. That's kind of a dramatic opening, but you somehow have to go back and explain who is this guy and why is he there and yep. why did this arrow pierce this you know shield and. How bad is he hurt and all that stuff? You know, I had an interesting realization the other day that um, I don't know why I was talking to my wife about Homer for some reason. <laughs> we were talking about Homer, and oh no, it was my daughter. Oh, okay, and she she read Iliad and the Odyssey. Mm -hmm. I don't know ninth grade or something. Uh -huh. She said, I oh. never liked it. Oh, I never liked it, and I realized well, <clears throat> they were really kind of written for boys. Mm. And they were essentially the superhero movies of the day. Sure. Right? They didn't have movies, so they would sit around a campfire and recite epic poetry sure. that would capture the imagination. And uh, so when you read that stuff, you're like, wow, that's that's pretty vivid description of a bloody mess. Well, and let me just Two things about that, you know, that was a long time ago, and ninth grade is pretty young to be reading Homer. Let me just say, yeah, that, I so. would, I would say you probably have a better experience right. if you approach it a little bit of an older age. But there also is the children's Homer, which pretty much tells the whole story right. in a much more manageable, yes, without all the story. confusion. And, yeah. And, you know. <laughs> But um, And then the last one, we're getting to the five uh, oh, paragraphs right. here, mm -hmm. uh, would be the dialogue okay. paragraph. And this is where you would communicate something simply through mm. a conversation. Now, if you think about, okay, you could write about anything, you know, a beach, a forest scene, our office, your kitchen, using any of these five types of paragraphs, we could have – a conversation right now about what's going on in the office. Yes. We could uh, talk about how this office came to be. Mm. We could say who, what, where, why, when, how is this office. So, so we could take any subject, 
or any topic, and we could try and apply one of these paragraph models. I like it. And now Webster, again, had this idea that you would take a subject, divide it into maybe five topics, and then try a different one of these for each of those topics, mm -hmm. and then add on your introduction – and he would prefer you have a dramatic opening paragraph to go with that. And Absolutely. <laughs> so you follow the Unit 7 mm. model uh, with the introduction conclusion, but the body paragraphs 3, 4, maybe 5 could be uh, different in this way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think anyone who would want to teach this idea should definitely try and do it before trying to teach it. Um, Something you often recommend. At least then you would have a little bit of personal experience of having wrestled with it, mm -hmm. uh, have some better questions for the students to use, and maybe even have an example yes. that you could you know, print off and give to everyone and say, okay, here's an example of five senses, here's an example of flashback, here's an example of dialogue, et cetera, mm -hmm, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Now moving off of Dr. Webster's five paragraphs, and, and listeners, we will put in the show notes just, ah, we're going to give you a special treat here, some slides from the premium masterclass just of these five advanced, because this is not in the seminar workbook. This is not, this is not in no, anything you this, teach anymore. this is outside anything yep. that we've put into right. a video course. Yeah. But we let's go to something that we do have in our teaching writing structure and style video course author imitation. You you touch on this a little bit. So this idea of spying on your professor but maybe start by spying on Mark Twain. Right. Yeah, I um I I had this idea a long time ago that you know, when you're writing, you're writing for an audience. Right. And most kids and college students are writing for an audience that's going to give them a grade. Mm -hmm. And your goal, of course, is to get the best grade you can. And not all college or university teachers, not all high school teachers actually like the same thing right. when it comes to writing. So sure. if you wanted to be get the best grade you could, you would try to – Find something which that teacher wrote or something that that teacher approves of mm -hmm. and then figure out what that writer did. And this is where you kind of get your – you know, this is kind of where you get this power of understanding style. Mm. You get – you have – if you can do a wide range of stylistic techniques and you know them – you can then start to identify them more easily mm -hmm. and you can come up with a way to kind of create a checklist of things to do or not do based on what someone else did or did not do. Okay, right. And uh, I wanted to try this but I realized the differences between two college professor's writing was not as different mm -hmm. as two authors. Mm -hmm. And so you could take – you could start the process of author imitation with things that were very, very different 
and figure out, okay, what makes that sound that way and what makes this sound this way and try to imitate it. And then you could maybe move to two authors that are less different and maybe ultimately go to two, you know, academic papers mm -hmm. that right. are going to be less different but still different. So uh, when I first tried this, I, I was like, okay, who are like three super different authors? I thought, well, Twain is very Twainish, <laughs> um, and Charles Dickens is very not like Twain. And then uh, I used one. I, I love this uh, little series of books by James Finn Garner, uh, Politically Correct Bedtime Stories, Politically <laughs> Correct Fairy Tales, Once Upon a More Enlightened Time. Mm -hmm. These were way back in the, I don't know, 80s or 90s mm -hmm. when, when that whole term politically correct started to surface. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, I took a page, just one page of each of those, and I gave it to these students and I said, okay, let's figure out what makes Dickens sound like Dickens, Twain like Twain, and this other guy, Garner, sound like Garner. And it worked so well, I wanted to try it again uh, with younger students and see if they could get it. So I, I then took a page out of the King James Bible, mm -hmm. which is very stylistically mm -hmm. different than almost anything that anybody ever runs into except maybe Shakespeare because mm -hmm. they were written sure. around the same time. And uh, Hans Christian Andersen. Okay who would be more kind of like Dickens, but again, different in certain ways. And so we would read these things and try to say, okay, what makes, what makes that sound like that? And uh, there are a few things you could look at. One would very simply be the use of adjectives. Mm. Anderson and Dickens use a lot more adjectives than authors like Twain and Hemingway. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you wanted to imitate Hemingway, you would probably really minimize the use of adjectives or or even adverbs. Mm -hmm. uh, Twain is reported to have said, you know, if you see an adjective in your writing, kill it. If it comes back to life, let it live. But, you know, minimize. Mm -hmm. uh, Stephen King is reported to have said the the path to hell is lined with adjectives. Okay. <laughs> or, no, with uh, adverbs. Oh, got it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, these are authors that do use, mm -hmm. and you can find in their writing adverbs and adjectives just a whole lot more sparingly. Mm -hmm. Whereas Dickens and Hans Christian Andersen, they'll just load these things in there. Mm -hmm. Like it's rare to see a noun without an adjective attached. Mm -hmm. in. Okay, so you can look at the frequency of adverbs and adjectives. You could even get a little bit mathematical and say, how many adjectives per 100 words do you find? Oh, wow. Right? Mm -hmm. And maybe in one author you'd find two and another author you'd find 10. Well, that's a really good guideline if you're shooting to imitate, right? right. Another uh, thing would be particular words that pop out as being unusual or unique or particularly effective. Mm -hmm. And we all kind of have favorite words. Mm -hmm. I know I have mine and mm -hmm. I always tease the kids and say, well, if you use this word, I'd, I'd give it an automatic A because I just love this word so much. I don't so, give grades, so it didn't really listener, matter. But. Two of the words that I can think of off the top of my head that are Mr. Poudois' favorites is quintessential and that's, of course, 
an adjective. So we have to add the quintessentially right. for the adverb and then behemothic. Behemothic. Yes. Oh, but there's a strong verb, behold or behold. beheld. Yeah. He likes it. So and, there's three. and I even have a favorite noun, vicissitudes. Oh, vicissitudes. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, you know, if you were trying to imitate me and you looked at my use of words, one of those might pop out or mm -hmm. maybe a different one is being, oh, that'd be a word that would probably resonate well mm -hmm. with the reader Yep. if I was the reader grading the thing. Yep. It, it, this, this little plan can fall apart though because you may have a professor who writes stuff, but then he's got TAs that grade it. Oh, right, yeah. So you, you have to be a little bit careful on the spy on your professor and hope that it works. But yep. it's still okay. – it, it, if anything, it's just a good exercise. Right, right. Um, you you could even look for certain punctuation marks. Mm. Does this writer use parentheses or semicolons mm -hmm. or an M dash? Mm -hmm. If they do, then that's an indicator that you should feel free to do that. Right. But if they never do, then that's an indicator you should probably avoid it. Right. If uh, if you read what someone wrote and not a single time in the entire thing you're reading do they start a sentence with the word because, mm -hmm. well, then you should probably never start your sentence with the word because. It doesn't mean it's wrong or illegal. It just means that person has kind of avoided it for one reason or another. You could actually look at any of our dress-ups, openers, decorations, or triples and see if writers are doing that and then look at the density. And, you know, per 100 words is kind of a good way. You know, how many strong verbs, how many quality adjectives, how many adjective clauses or adverb clauses, how many prepositional phrases, how many non-subject starter sentences, and right. what are the most common ways that writers start sentences with when it's not a subject. Right. These give you a lot of tools mm -hmm. to work with. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, author imitation is a great way to expand stylistic repertoire mm -hmm. beyond just the normal IEW style checklist. Yep. Well, I'm sure we're out of time. Well, I, I wanted to just say one more interesting little story. Okay, great. That kind of, I think, juxtaposes the world's view of imitation. Yes. Versus the, you know, my understanding of the value yes. of imitation in terms oh, of good. building your skills. I had a, a young lady came up to me once at a convention or something, and she didn't really know me or know IEW, but I'm standing there with a sign called Excellence in Writing. Mm -hmm. And so she has this conversation, and she is in some college somewhere. I don't remember which one. I think it was in California, if I recall. Mm -hmm. And she said, I want, to, I want to major in English and I want to get a master's in creative writing. Mm -hmm. That's my goal. And she's probably 19, so still, still on the young side of that whole process. And she said, what do you think I should do? And I said, well, if I were you and I really wanted to improve my writing skills, I would make a list of my 10 favorite authors. And then I would work on the first one on the list and kind of write stuff and then try some more and write some more stuff and keep writing until I felt like I could 
kind of imitate that, that writer. And then I would go to the next author on the list and I would try to write stuff until I felt like I was kind of sounding like that author. And I would do this until I had practiced trying to imitate all 10 of these authors. And Andrew, that, that's such a classical approach. My friend who's an artist who teaches art has them imitate the masters. They're not trying to forge or copy, you know, no. Picasso or Monet. They're trying to imitate that style. Well, and and we would look at that, you know, I'm a music teacher, so mm-hmm. we would say listen to great music right. and then try to sound like that. Right. Um, sports. What what do people who are in sports do? They look at the pros, right? Mm-hmm. They study the professional <laughs> players. Right. And then they try some of the techniques they see. Right. So this idea of imitation is universally applicable. So anyway, I had I kind of explained this idea to her and she she looked at me with this kind of stunned blank look and she said that's exactly the opposite of what they tell me to do in college, oh, which is mm-hmm. never imitate anyone. And I thought, well, you know, that's the kind of the modern mm. worship of creativity yeah. without a foundation. Right. And yeah, if you – I mean, just think about it. If you could imitate 10 of the greatest authors that you know of, what kind of incredible toolbox would you have exactly. that would allow you to then be way more creative and original yes. than you otherwise would have if you hadn't gone through the process. And that right there, Andrew, kind of summarizes what we do here at IEW, is it not? I think so. Yeah, you know, We're equipping everybody with the tools to be more creative. Exactly. But there's discipline involved. Yeah, there is indeed. Well, this was a robust two weeks of delving into advanced style. So listener, if you're a little overwhelmed, I promise next week will be a little bit lighter. But for those of you that uh, appreciated some of the technical things that we do here at IEW or even beyond what we do here at IEW, we hope this has been gratifying to you. Do, do, don't you want a joke? Oh, absolutely. We need a joke. Yeah. So this young man, he says to the career counselor, I want to write things that are just powerful, that you know causes bursts of emotional energy, that just wrenches people's gut. Mm. And uh, the counselor says, well, have you considered working for Microsoft? And goes, Microsoft? He goes, yeah, you could write the error messages. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, on that painful note, <laughs> thank you, Andrew. Adios. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing, would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.